Hello and welcome once again to the podcast of Drunk Theology. This is Charles Brown, also known as the Rev C.H. Brown, and I am so glad you're here with me today. Uh, I know that you checked in with me last week, and we are covering the challenge of the gospel. And we're going to be covering the second topic, or the second challenge, uh, the first one we covered last week. So last week we talked about the challenge of loving God. The conclusion of that was that the challenge was to do what is right with a right motive. That is the challenge. Because it is possible and highly likely that we serve or love God for ulterior motives. So to overcome that, we have to really just look to ourselves and to be honest and to be honest in the presence of God so that God is able to create in us that image of himself that is more reflective of who he is. Uh, A more biblical way of stating it would be found in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 9. He said, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy, or as the ESV version, I believe, says, let love be with sincerity. So, with that in mind, uh, let's look at this next challenge. Now, if we remember last week, we took it from Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, where Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, And here's the second challenge. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all of the law and the prophets, the fulfilling of the 300 plus commands of God uh, found in in, in the Old Testament, the fulfilling of, uh, uh, of the commands of God found among the prophets and the prophetical writings, Uh, all can be summed up into two categories, two challenges for us. First, love God, do what is right, and do it with a right motive. And secondly, to love your neighbor just the same way as you love yourself. Now, not surprisingly, the Greek word that is used here for love with respect to our neighbors is still the same Greek word, agape. So it means, literally, to do what is right with a right motive. So it is, it, it is a love that is a moral love. It does not look for itself. It does not look to itself. It does not look to satisfy itself. It looks to do what is right because it is right. And that is the way God's love operates because he is a righteous God. So the first challenge requires that we reflect on ourselves, And believe me, that's hard enough to grapple with. That's a hard thing to grapple with examining why I choose to love God. Because when we first start out on this journey of serving God, of of loving God, it's usually motivated by a fear of judgment, a fear of eternal damnation. But as we grow in God, as we get to know God and his character, we begin to understand as we grow in this faith that God does not want to judge us, but that he wants everyone to come to repentance. So, once we figure that out, and we reconcile that in our relationship with God, things seem to be smoothing out in our relationship. But then, there's the next challenge. 
we're to love people. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love people, to do right by people. And let's be honest, people can be pretty crappy. I mean, that's just, that's just a fact of life. They can be pretty awful. And if I'm going to mature as a human being, if I'm going to grow as an imager of God on this earth, I have to do right by people. And let's face facts, we don't want to. We don't want to do right by people, especially the ones who are outright idiots, the ones who are texting while they're driving, even right now. You know, we don't want to do right by you. Uh, the, the one who likes to tailgate, the one who likes to speed, the one who rides their motorcycles down the street like it's a, a, a raceway and there's children in the way you say, I don't want to do right by them. And by now you probably kind of probably figured out what my pet peeve is. It's traffic. Fortunately, though, man, it's because of the circumstances that we all find ourselves in with the social distancing and um, uh, you know the the stay-at-home orders. You know where the traffic uh, has kind of mellowed out, except that I did witness about three or four young men, one of whom I knew very well, uh, racing down the street with their motorcycles just because. They were trying to find something to do. Anyway, but even more so, it's hard to love people when they've wronged us or harmed us in any way. We don't want to treat them the way we want to be treated. And so we begin to argue with God. We say, you don't understand God. They're a jerk. They swindled me. They stole from me. They ruined my reputation, whatever that is. Because Paul says in that same chapter in Romans 12, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Because, let's face it, we all do. I know I do. I think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, and I, if I let my imagination run away with itself, I think I'm a pretty great guy. But the truth of the matter is, I've got all sorts of faults. And I know that you are the same way. You think I'm a pretty great guy. I mean, you think that you are a pretty great person. <laughs> but all kidding aside, that's, that's the way we are. And we, so we argue with God. We say, hey, you just don't understand. And all the while, God just patiently waits on us, lets us throw our little temper tantrum, and says, are you going to do what I ask? See, it's a challenge to love others. And so we begin to reason within ourselves. You know, um, there, there's got to be a, a, a different right and a different wrong for different people. See, we begin to try to change the rules, try to change what is right. After all, we're more sophisticated. We're more enlightened. We've come to understand that right and wrong is relative. Let's be honest, that's not a new idea. That idea has been around since the beginning of time. Cain thought he was right when he slew his brother Abel. He says, I got to get rid of this guy. He's stealing the show. <laughs> you know, we all have a right from wrong. And we all want to believe that we have our own. But the truth of the matter is, there is an absolute right and wrong. If that were not true, 
how would we know when we have been maligned or mistreated? Hmm? I like what C.S. Lewis said uh, in his book, uh, Mere Christianity. A great illustration of this truth. I, I like to call it the illustration of stealing a bus seat. He gives the illustration of, you know, being on a bus and there's a little old lady and she's sitting there and there's, uh, there, there are some men that are standing, not able to be seated and they're holding on to the handle and the bus is jerking around and suddenly she loses control of her purse and she has to stand up and leave her seat to go collect it and, and during that moment, uh, one of the men just sit down in her seat and steal it from her. If that were to happen, everybody on the, uh, on the bus would say, hey, man, what are you doing? Let the little old lady have her seat back. Haven't you got any common sense? Don't you know what's right and wrong? Of course we do. We know right from wrong. We understand that. That's not, a, that's not anything that's new. So to know to do right is what's important. Now, you may indeed be a victim of wrongdoing. You may be even have had a crime perpetrated against you. And you see, our natural inclination is to repay evil with evil. The scripture, though, teaches us the opposite. No, to love your neighbor as yourself. Say, well, that's a naive position. It may very well be, but the reality is we have to begin to operate the way that God wants us to operate. And that's the challenge. I remember so many years ago, uh, my wife went to the grocery store one day, and when she came home, she was uh, frightened and angry and mad. Uh, because she was robbed in the parking lot. Fortunately, the authorities were able to apprehend the suspect, uh, get my wife's purse back, and uh, but unfortunately, she had to go to trial. She had to testify against him. And I remember <laughs> it was so funny, you know, the uh, defense attorney. Uh, having understood through some things she had said through the prosecutor that she was a Christian, said, well, you're a Christian, aren't you? And she said, yes. She goes, and you believe in giving, right? And she says, yes, I do. And she says, well, you know, and giving to the poor. Perhaps you were just helping this young man because he was in need. And she, of course, <laughs> she, she let him have it. And even the judge snickered at her answer, you know, because it was obvious what had happened. But me personally, the entire time, I wanted to, to go over there and just punch the dude out. You know, how dare you rob my wife? How you dare you throw her on the ground? You know, I wanted to just pulverize him. That's what we want to do. But the scripture says, no, you don't repay evil with evil. 
And you say, but that's just so ridiculous. You you have to defend yourself. You have to 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 uh, you know make things right for yourself. Stand up for yourself. That's a naive position. How can you love the bloody bastard that harmed you? How can you love that person that almost tried to kill you, or maybe even raped you, or do some horrible thing? But you see, you have to understand something. That is not the the command. Is not that you have to go and start hanging out with this person, that you have to go and be buddy buddies and that they're your best chum for the rest of your life. That's not what loving your neighbor as yourself is. But rather is that you would treat them the way that you want to be treated. And I see so many believers in, 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 in my life of ministry, you know, I, I, you know, pastored for for 30 years and and I, I've seen so many of them that that you know just despise their neighbor literally the the guy next door you know uh, over a wrong that was done uh, years ago and and they, they they have nothing good to say about the individuals and they and, and they harbor resentment and you see that's the exact opposite of what it is to be an imager of God in this area of loving your neighbor as yourself so, so what is it if, if it's, if, you know, what, what is it to love your neighbor? Well, very simply in Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul put it this way. He, in verses 18 through 21, and by the way, he's quoting from the Proverbs, uh, chapters 25 through uh, 21 through 22, verse 21 through 22. This is what Paul says in Romans 12, 18. He says, if it's possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Part of being loving to your neighbor is to be a peacemaker, to live peaceably. He goes on and says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Why would he say that? Because we are living in a real world with real people and 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 real problems and there are going to be times that you want to avenge yourself he says no never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord it belongs to god let god deal with it god knows exactly how to deal with it and when to deal with it so what am I to do? Well, Paul goes on and says, to the contrary, and this is where he quotes Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 through 22. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Now, it's interesting, you know, as, uh, as many years I've been in the ministry, I've heard this mess in the past by some very well-meaning meaning people, including my own pastor when I first got saved. And, it's, and they, they come off saying, yeah, you know, love them, and it's like putting coals of fire on their head. And it's like, Mm, that sounds pretty rotten. So now my motive for loving is revenge. That doesn't sit 
with with the scriptures teaching so then what does it mean what 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 does it mean by by feeding them by giving them drink that we are that we are heaping coals of fire on their head what does that mean you see what's so interesting is that i know that as a pastor that it's so easy within the church to get involved in the context of the church you you live your life with the people you live your life in the church and in and in ministry and and you start you know focusing your life that way you start focusing your your relationship with god that way your 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 prayer time is all focused on the work of the ministry and, and 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 the people that are involved and the and the hurts and the struggles that you you're trying to help people through and ministering through and what happens is, is you stop growing and that happened to me and it happens to just about every minister and it's funny in my journey here that the Lord uh, has taken the last 10 years of, of, of my ministry and has had me in a, in a position where I'm outside the church. And I'm outside the church looking in, and it's placed me in a different way of ministering to people, to those that are outside. And part of that journey was starting to learn more about, about the Old Testament and about the, the Scriptures and about, about Judaism. Because after all, it's the religion of Jesus. It's the religion by which we were able to get saved because Jesus fulfilled the law so that we could be saved. So it's pretty important to know what Jesus did and how he lived because we're supposed to be following him. And an interesting thing about this passage, you have to remember this is our ancient text Proverbs is an ancient text, and you have to look at it in the context in which it was written. The people who read those uh, Proverbs and read those scriptures and heard the scriptures being taught by the rabbis understood them because they lived them. It was a context in which they lived. But here we are some 2,000, 2,500 years later, and, and we don't have any context. And if we take it as, yeah, by loving people and being kind to them, being kind to my enemy, I'm heaping coals of fire in his head, nah, it doesn't quite set right. There must be a meaning, and there is. Now, what the meaning is is so so great. It's such a, a, a blessing. It was a blessing to me when I learned it, and I trust it will be to you here as, as, I, as I try to, try to uh, share it and explain it with you. But... The custom was in those days, uh, in the days of Solomon, when, 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 when this proverb was written, and, and even before that, was that people would heat their homes at night with burning coals. They would take them into their home, maybe have a little fire, but they would have these burning coals that would keep the house warm. And then, in the morning, the burning coals would still be, would still be there, and they would use that to prepare their meal, their breakfast. But if you got up in the morning and you discovered that that your coals had gone out and there wasn't anyone left there for to be able to make your meal, you always knew you can go to your next door neighbor and they would give you a coal so that you can go relight your coals. 
and so that's that was the idea. Well, Paul was saying, and the Proverbs were saying, the writer of Proverbs was saying, if you will give your enemy drink, and if you will give them food, he says, it's like giving them a whole plate of coals instead of just one. So many coals that they would have to carry it on their head because that's the was the custom then. Anytime you had a, a large burden, you would put put that large burden on your head, especially if you're going to be walking any distance, and, and it was easier to carry. We've seen movies of you know of, of just ancient lands where they're doing that, and that was the custom. And so he, what he was saying was, if you will love them, if you will love that person who is 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 cruel to you, if you will do right by them, remember, loving is doing right by them. If you will do right, do it generously. Don't give them just one coal. Give them a whole pan of coals so much that they have to carry it on their head. By doing so, you are being the image of God because you're being generous with them and you're overcoming evil with good and that's what God has done for us God has been generous with us and if we're going to be the image of God if we're going to be imagers of God then we have to be generous with those that don't agree with us with those that harm us with those who have maligned us and have even maybe tried to destroy us He's saying, be generous with them. If they come to you and they're in need, don't turn them away. Help them and help them generously, just like God has generously helped you. Just like God has generously helped you. See, that's the challenge. That we would be transformed. It's the challenge that our attitude towards people would be that we look out for their benefit before ours. See, if you have the intestinal fortitude to behave that way, that's only part of the challenge. The hard part of it is to do it without hypocrisy. See, you might do that for your neighbor just because you know, okay, we're commanded by Scripture to do this, so I'm going to be generous. But inside, you're like, yeah, but I really don't want to be. No, that's the part that's the challenge part the challenge part is to do it without hypocrisy let love be done without hypocrisy let love be done with sincerity and in order for that to happen we have to spend time with god we have to be transformed in our minds as paul started out in romans chapter 12 verse 2 he said do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and complete it ain't easy but with God all things are possible to those who believe if you believe in him if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God has raised him from the dead, it's possible because that generosity of God giving his own Son was giving us a whole pan of coals.
tools to make our food with, to feed ourselves with, to meet our needs, to prosper us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Say, God, change me. This is the challenge. Transform my mind so that I love my neighbor with a heart of sincerity. Well, that's it for this week, friends. So God bless you. And I pray that you will be able to have a wonderful, wonderful Easter uh, this this Easter Sunday. Shalom. <laughs>